welcome to Pivot Points. This is the podcast about the pivotal moments that have shaped our academic, professional and personal lives. I'm Femke, your Head of Communications at Wolfson College, and I'm all about creating ways for you to share your stories like this podcast. This month's guest on Pivot Points is Theodore Bormann. He's a DPhil candidate studying international development and is also Wolfson's new Chair of General Meeting, taking over the reins from the wonderful Frederick Florenz. We're recording this in the first week of term, and things are a little busy for him as he learns the ropes, so I start by asking him how he's feeling in his new role. So the first part, the, the part where I'm like the de- a default scholar, is I'm, I'm more used to this now. I'm now in my mm. fourth year of studying, uh, whereas the... The other part, the the chair of the GM, is a role that I've just taken up this term. Um, so this has been my first week where I've went to meetings, and um, that has been like a very interesting experience. Mm. Interesting um, in what way? In the way that I had to think about issues that had never crossed my mind in a in a way, mm. um, and where I really felt that there's a lot of thought going into the administration and management of the college. Mm. Um, so I think this was like the most surprising part for me and the most interesting aspect. Mm. Um, and then interesting also in, in the sense, which did not surprise me as much, but that, that it was that I really felt that it was like a very open atmosphere mm-hmm. and that I, I felt that that everyone can, can contribute something mm. even like me as like a relative newcomer to like this area I was able to like ask questions mm-hmm. and give input and I, I felt that they were integrated into the process and that was like also a good experience yeah well that's great I mean that that's the Wolfson way so I'm glad that that's your experience so far I'm wondering as well so as chair of GM of our current community now, that's kind of, you know, acting student president for any listeners who are not, um, you know, familiar with the term chair of GM. I'm wondering how that relates at all to your your first pivot point. So your first pivot point was around um, your time at your boarding school and how you felt your sense of community there. Did you hold any, you know, kind of student president position when you're in that community? Ah, that's a that's a good question. Um, so it definitely relates to that uh, period of my life. Um, so in my school, I did not ha- hold any uh, position. I was like actually um, wise head boy, I suppose. Mm. Uh, but there was a different kind of responsibility. Um, so me being the chair of GM now relates to this experience in the school in so far um, that I've that I really enjoyed the the spirit of community and this is also like the spirit that I that I enjoy at Wolfson most and and at my at my school I really like I felt that that it's important to take action mm. and to so I I directed I, I let some some sports group organize like a philosophical weekend as it mm-hmm. was called and so I took up these responsibilities also like since it was a boarding school there was like mm. a additional responsibilities in um what would be like the, f- the flats or like the the housing or the dormitories mm-hmm. so I I also had some some leading roles there so I'm I got a bit experienced in administration of communities in this sense, like mm. from the student representative perspective. Yeah. Um, 
but I think the the chair of the GM has like a slightly different role. But it's definitely mm. um, it definitely it's definitely connected because in both cases, both Wolfson College and my my um, high school actually, mm. there's like this strong sense of community. Yeah. Where where I feel very happy in. Very at home. Yeah, That's nice. Home, yeah. And I'm wondering also, so I guess because you went to a boarding school, I suppose you've been living away from home for a little while now. How does that feel here at Wolfson? to live away from where you grew up um yeah so it has become the <laughs> the new normal for me in a mm. way uh you're absolutely right um it's yeah so i moved to this boarding school um when i was 13 i believe mm-hmm. and then i was in the school from monday to friday and then would normally go home at okay the, at the so like a weekday border and then home is close by the home was close. I mean, it was like half an hour. It was relatively close by. Yeah. So there were students who come, like there were like family students who came from Switzerland, for example. Yeah. Um, maybe on this note, on on this note of my school, I should mm. also add that the type of boarding school is different from the type of British boarding schools. Mm. In so far that the um, school was, for example, state funded. Mm-hmm. So this makes a big difference, I believe. Um, in terms of composition, mm. so mostly when I talk to 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 people from from the UK, they there's connect, a certain reputation for British boarding schools. Yes, to, to boarding schools, yeah. and I think in the US there's also a reputation, yeah, even though it's different from from the UK one. Mm. So it it was like a particular boarding school in this sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I feel it's important to note because some people connect Oxford with this. British boarding school mm. idea, mm-hmm. um, and I feel this is not necessarily true on the postgraduate level, especially. Mm. Um, so on the undergraduate level, probably, but on the postgraduate level, I have not really sensed it so much. Mm, that's um, interesting. And you did your undergraduate study where? In Münster, in Germany, in okay. And prior to coming to Oxford, you did two postgraduate degrees, right? And one in Warwick one at King's College. King's College in London, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm also interested, I think this comes on to your second pivot point. So for your, your two postgrad degrees, you were at the time studying economics or political economics. Yeah. And you've since shifted into a more kind of anthropological subject area. Can you talk me through that, that shift? Yeah, it, it was a very um, drastic shift I mm. would say yeah it's a um, big change yeah so, so I did only political science and economics during my bachelor's and then during the two master's yeah. degrees um, and then the second master's degree was actually uh, a master master of research plus PhD so it would have directly led to the uh, right. to a funded PhD program mm. um, and at that time I was mainly interested in game theory so mm-hmm. like it's this formal study of strategic interactions uh, between people mm. um and i still i'm still quite fascinated by this area mm. um and it can give a lot of pleasure in analyzing these uh, formal settings i would say mm. uh, can you talk for anyone who's not familiar with game theory can you talk a little bit in more detail about that or in more detail just <laughs> i mean it kind of so, in detail but also in layman's terms for anyone who's not familiar with it i'm i'm kind of curious um Yes. So the the basic premise of game theory is that 
people act rationally and utility maximizing. Hmm. So, and then the question is, if there are like two people uh, or two states for that matter, um, two people who both want to maximize their own well-being, hmm. um, can they achieve results um, that are that are good for both of them? Um, or so it, I'm, I feel I'm doing a terrible job. It's like, <laughs> okay. I mean, I'm, I'm uh, one of those people who don't know anything about game okay. theory, so um, you're in safe, me, in safe hands. So, so I, I think like a good, I think the best way to describe it is like in, by giving an example. So like mm -hmm. the um, nuclear arms race is like an example for like a, a game theoretic application mm -hmm. where you basically have two states in the formal setting. Mm -hmm. um, none of these states really wants to have a nuclear war, hmm. but both of them um, maximize only their own utility hmm. in a way. Mm -hmm. And for both of them, it is better to have more nuclear weapons than the other state. Yeah. Uh, so only like in the setting, this is not my mm -hmm. opinion. Yeah. Um, and so like then with game theoretic um, methods, you can analyze how states get more and more nuclear arms, mm. even though neither of the or none of the states actually wants to have a nuclear war or nuclear mm. weapons for this mm. for this matter. So it's a huge waste of, of money and resources. So mm -hmm. um, but you can explain it in like economic terms or like mm. rational terms if you wanted. That's interesting. By using game theory. So I suppose you were studying that kind of thing on a more state level and now what you're studying is on a kind of smaller, more individual scale, talking about individual people rather than states um this could be one difference uh, so game theory is also it's so like the arms race is like one of one of the examples it is, also happens on the individual level mm. um and i studied more like the very theoretical models where it really does not matter whether it's a state or a right. person mm -hmm. so i think the main difference would be that um game theory is very much based on like a set of assumptions and mm. from these assumptions you generate knowledge mm -hmm. while anthropology now mm. is uh, derives its data from the field setting basically mm. you go there so it's very much uh, based on empirical data mm -hmm. um and so this this is the big difference and for me this was also the big change so mm. i i enjoyed solving these these models mm. and finding something out uh, but it was, I felt that I did not really understand more about our world mm. because in the end it is just my, my own assumption or the assumptions of the discipline mm. and then I can see what comes out of it. Mm. So w was that partly your motivation for wanting to change subject area, to study something that would in the end give you a better understanding of the world? Yes, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, so this was my my main reason. So I so I enjoyed game theory mm -hmm. uh, or politic uh, theoretical political economy, mm -hmm. uh, but I I felt that it it was. I mean, I I don't want to like. Um, no, but so, for you, maybe it sounds like it was too intangible or something. Yes, it was yeah. too too abstract in a way, yeah. and I I felt that I. I, it it could not easily be, be applied to the world, mm. or if it or what I also observed is if people apply it, then they would also often assume that it's something like a um, like a prescription. So so that they say, oh, you should act rationally, and mm. you should act 
act utility maximizing, mm-hmm. which is not what game theory is about. I mean, yeah. game theory just tells you what happens if you do, but it does yes. not tell you that you should act like this. Yeah. So it, it is often misinterpreted, I feel. Yeah. And it's to me, it's too often misinterpreted. Mm. So I, I don't want to like be in this subject and find out something and then see how other people completely turn it upside down. Yeah, um, that's interesting. I'm, I'm thinking for, you know, for any listeners who have maybe gone a certain a certain way down, you know, one academic discipline and then they at some point decide to shift. I suppose people need to know that that is possible, first of all. I think some people probably feel pigeonholed into a certain discipline. Um, did it feel difficult for you to make a shift? It did add some... So in, in Germany, for example, it would not have been uh, possible to, mm. to shift in this manner. Okay. Uh, if you don't have a bachelor's in um, social anthropology, you mm. would not be able to do a PhD in yep. um, social anthropology. Mm-hmm. So I was quite happy to have this opportunity because, of course, uh, now we focus a lot on on the... Mo- not negative aspects, but like on my motivator, on the push factors. Mm. But of course, there was also a huge pull factor why I wanted to join anthropology as a discipline mm. and why I'm now like at the Department of International Development where I can mm-hmm. pretty much um, do um, a study with ethnographic methods. Mm. Um, yeah, so I, I definitely... Um, it is definitely possible to, to shift and mm. I... Yeah, I struggled um, a bit at the beginning because, mm. again, you're like a newcomer. You have to read all mm. the all the work that most undergraduate anthropologists are, compl- uh, anthropologists are completely familiar with, mm-hmm. uh, like Levi-Strauss or Malinowski. And for me, these were still empty names in mm-hmm. a way, so mm-hmm. I heard about them, but I've never really critically engaged with it Mm -hmm. um and i would say that this uh sort of uncertainty or like um yeah so i'm still a bit uh inconfident uh, like i still Mm. lack a bit of confidence Mm. when it comes to anthropology so i'm 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 firm in my my area of research i would say so when it comes to amazonian anthropology i i i'm not afraid of like making major errors Mm -hmm. but when i would shift for example like from the amazonian context to another context Mm. let's say melanesia which is also like a big um study area for anthropologists Mm -hmm. um then i i basically lack a lot of knowledge that would be required otherwise Mm -hmm. um but yeah i'm i'm equally confident that i'd be able to like read into this this new area and and would fairly uh, or fairly rapidly mm-hmm. uh, make advancements. Yeah, it. of course. Um, and speaking of Amazonian context, so you said you're in your second pivot point that um, having the opportunity to do field work in Peru in the Peruvian Amazon was a kind of pivotal moment in your life. Can you explain to me why? Oh, it was like a very um, intense experience. Mm, so intense I, in what way? So first of all, it was the longest period um that i was completely abroad or gone, mm. gone from home so mm-hmm. i um i i also i did an internship before doing the field work but in total i stayed uh, for one and a half years in in peru in the mm-hmm. in the peruvian rainforest and there was just like a very long period of time and mm. um, just this in and in, in, in itself would be very um uh, felt very intense mm. um and then it was also the the immersion in a very 
different lifestyle. So I, I lived in a in a village which was like six hours from the from the major city or like in another village which was ten to twenty hours mm. hours away. So the, these villages would only be reachable by boat mm. um, normally. Um, so they and everything revolved around the river. So you would take your bath in the river, you would brush your teeth in the river probably. Mm. Um, and if you wanted to visit friends, you would probably hop into a boat and then mm -hmm. like go upstream or downstream. Mm. And where where were you living? Like what kind of house or shelter were you living in? Well, I was uh, I was very lucky in this regard, I suppose, that people actually welcomed me into mm. their homes. Um, so That's amazing. There, there was like one of the um, points where I was a bit timid at first because mm -hmm. I thought, well, if, if someone came to my house and asked, oh, can I sleep in your living room? I'd probably be <laughs> sure you can sleep in like for two or three nights. How long do you want to be? Mm -hmm. And like if they answered, well, just like seven, eight months, I would probably be like, okay, we should, <laughs> we should talk about this a bit more. Maybe I'll interview you first. Yeah. <laughs> but so like where, so the families where, where I um, arrived, they were very open. They were like, mm. sure, no problem. Here, take a corner in the living room. Amazing. Put your mosquito net up and, mm -hmm. and then, you're, then you're set. So, and and so they they really integrated me into mm. their into their lives, and I, I was very thankful for this. Yeah. Um, what do you yeah. think you learned from? I mean, I'm sure you learned many things from living there. What's uh, the give, give me the top thing that you learned? The top thing. Yeah, if you had to choose. Uh, <laughs> that is, yeah, that is difficult yeah. to say the top thing. <laughs> um, I think that it is mainly. A more relaxed approach to life that I that I learned. Mm. So um, maybe so. I, I mean, there's this prejudice against Germans. The Germans always want to be on time. Mm. They they have like a place a high value on on punctuality. And I was very much <laughs> the same <laughs> before going to the field. Yeah. While nowadays I'm. Yeah, I, I basically learned, well, if you are five minutes late, it's not that big mm -hmm. of a deal. And, mm -hmm. and so, like, this is not only true about punctuality, mm. but it's true for many situations in life where mm. I would have previously thought, oh, well, this is really important. We, mm. we need to, like, fix this. We need to set, settle it. Mm. While I've, I've learned in, from living with um, the friends and family in Peru that... Um, yeah, sometimes you can also just accept the things as they are mm. and they turn out all right. Mm. And, yeah. and how do you, what's your experience of integrating that value into your life here in Oxford? Well, it was a bit difficult, <laughs> difficult at first. Um, I can imagine. So, um, but overall, I think it worked. It worked well. Yeah? Uh, yeah. I, I think That's there's great. like um, another thing which was a bit more difficult to integrate which is that um, where, where I left, um, schadenfreude was not looked down upon. Mm -hmm. So like if something bad happened to a person, mm. everyone was assumed to laugh, including that. So let's say you're, you're in your hammock and mm. then all of a sudden like the rope um, rips mm -hmm. and you just fall down. <laughs> and in here, I mean, here does not happen too often because there are not too many hammers. Yeah, you're not lying in a hammock. But, <laughs> <laughs> yes, but if it happened here, probably people would be would care a lot, would be, oh, are yeah. you hurt or something. Mm. And where I was in, in Peru, the people would 
mainly laugh. Yeah. And if the person who <laughs> lie, uh, was in the hammock uh, to begin with did not laugh, then this person would be laughed at even more normally. Mm. Um, of course, if there was then, then blood or something, if there was something really serious, mm. then people would also... Then make, they take it seriously. Yeah, then they would also take it seriously. Yeah. But like, so this was the, the first instinct was always to laugh, even with, <laughs> even with smaller children, which was like very mm. surprising for me if there was a... Like let's say a two year old, mm. which just barely manages to walk and then fall, just like trips over and falls yeah. and cries. Like my instinct would be to just mm. to go there and to help, but people there would be like, ah, "Just get up!" and then they yeah. would just laugh it off. That's and very interesting. Yeah, very resilient. They they are quite resilient, and mm. and they take yeah they yeah they have a different approach. And when I came back, like this was also like when something bad happened. <laughs> like this was also my first instinct again to yeah. laugh, and of course this was not as. As appreciated. Yeah, then you uh, find it's not appropriate in this yes, context. So I, so I, had, I had to remind myself, oh, I should, I should not do this. I should, yeah. I should be more serious about about yeah. certain things, especially. So if something bad happens to me, I can still laugh it off. Mm. If something bad happens to another person, I, um, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I got back to my my. So old it's like self. you can tap into the right mind frame depending on yes. your context. Yes, I, yeah. I would say so. Like I, I've learned this, but it, it was a, a learning um, period. Yeah. You know? No, I can imagine. I'm wondering then also how, so you spent, what did you say, a year, a year and a half-ish yeah, about living, living in a rainforest. And now at Wolfson, you're also involved in the green team. I'm wondering a little bit how that experience also shaped your sense of care for the natural world. Or did you have a, a feeling of that before? Or was that something that has come to you later in your life? So um, I would say that I have always been interested in the in the environment, like from my from my upbringing, I think, um, and this has probably um, translated into some more activism, starting with I don't know, maybe with adulthood, maybe like with eighteen, nineteen years, um, mm. and then then also like I I picked the topics. For my for in political science and economics relates to like environmental topics, environmental politics, mm. environmental economics, um, to get a better understanding of how we can live more sustainable. Um, and also here in, in here Wolfson, I was also involved in these issues before going to the field. Um, now, whether the how the field has impacted my understanding or my ideas of environmental ethics is a bit difficult to say um, because the context is in my understanding quite different mm. so um, in where, where I was in, in the field the the setting was very much one of what would be often be called a like subsistence economy mm. um, so you would have to hunt and you would have to fish mm. uh, in order to to eat mm. and that's also what, what I've been doing so mm. I, I can still remember um, Prior to going to the field, I would not have wanted to. I, I did not even like um, killing the flies on the mm. wall, so to so to say. Um, and then in the field, I had, um, yeah. I mean, it was let's say it was a bit grim. I mean, basically, mm. uh, you had to like. I I also like learned how to kill animals in, yeah. in the field, which was something that I would not have done um, prior to going to Peru, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and would and it's also something that I would not do. Here in Oxford, mm. um, but in this particular context, um, I felt it was the right thing to do, mm. and so this has kind of changed my attitude to, um, to the, 
to our non-human environment mm. in the sense i suppose that it's that i'm i'm trying to conceptualize the environment as something that we can really like also live with um together mm-hmm. rather than having like only the, this this attitude of awe that that we have to like that nature is something sacred mm. and that we should not touch it whatsoever but that i now try to like find ways how we can actually like live well together with um mm. the non-human environment mm-hmm. if that makes sense yeah that makes sense and i think it, it goes back to the conversation we're having about context right like certain ways of behaving in your natural environment are appropriate in one context and not appropriate in another context uh, absolutely absolutely yeah. And and the issue of food, for example, is is one one example. So yeah, in the, and it, it's about choice, right? It's it's about choice. Yeah. yeah. So in in the fields, it it is possible. I heard people can do it that mm. they that they live as vegetarian, mm-hmm. but it, it does not really help with building rapport. If if you're mm. the only one, you're already the outsider as an anthropologist normally, at yeah. least at the beginning. Yeah. And then you're the only one who does not eat meat or mm. fish, mm-hmm. um, and it can easily get like this this taste of that you look down upon the food yes. of people yeah. that they that they offer you hmm. um so i yeah, yeah i, I mean like every anthropologist has to decide this on his uh, or her own in the end yeah uh, but i opted for eating um fish and meat mm-hmm. um in the field setting yeah but now that here that i'm back in 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 Europe but back in Oxford mm. I, I live as a, as a vegetarian as I used to to live before yeah so yeah it's very much this context dependency. yeah it's context and choice like here it's easy to be vegetarian and it's not looked down upon and you don't kind of um you know like separate yourself from your social community if you make that choice it's uh, just completely different. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And it's actually here, yeah, particularly in this college, it's getting mm. better and better. I think this was the first week that I that I saw like that they had like the vegetarian and the vegan option. Yeah. Um, up and I, I, I think that's great. Yeah. To, to see this progress. Yeah, that's great. Um, so you have been involved in the green team throughout this year, right? Um. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um. Yeah. I. I, I would say guess, so. Yeah. 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 So. Mm-hmm. So. I, I would say that I've been more involved in my first year okay. with the green team. Mm-hmm. Um, let me think. This how how have you found your experience with the green team at Wolfson? Oh, oh, I I really loved it. I mean, mm. uh, in general, like with, not only with the green team but but, but with Wolfson, I, I feel that there's a lot of momentum right now mm. where we can that that we can use to to push sustainable policies mm-hmm. and and ideas. So, so it's a very um welcoming mm. atmosphere a uh, uh, very fertile soil mm. so to speak um so in, in the green team i, I feel they have uh, people have great ideas um and if you have the right idea you can normally implement it as well yeah um so right now they had, um they've, they've like this year i think the flagship project had been like the pattern post um mm. for example which is um did you change your address I did not. <laughs> Thanks for bringing it up. Uh, but this has more to do that I'm living off-site right now, oh, so okay. I've never ordered anything. You're excused. That's I, fine. <laughs> yes, I, I was. I was thinking of ordering something just for um, mm. just to try the pattern post. No, but um, I mean but, this. This is also the thing. I've asked some people, "Oh, did you change your address?" And some people's answer is no, because I'm not ordering anything, and that's I, actually the better response. <laughs> I, 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 exactly. Yeah. So, so this is what happens with me. I generally try yeah. to reduce exactly. the number of products exactly. that I 
that I'm receiving um, yeah. because I, I think in when it comes to environmental behavior reduction mm. comes first yeah. and then we can we can see whether if, if you really need products mm. then we can see whether we can produce them more sustainably or whether mm. we can order them um, in a more sustainable manner but yeah. for me like the reduction part is, is first yeah um, yeah and, that's good yeah. what's I'm I'm curious then in your because you you really have only just taken over this role of of chair of GM. How do you how do you see yourself um, kind of helping our our whole community shift towards this reduction in the emissions that we have left over? So obviously we've completed this incredible project of electrifying the buildings, and then collectively the remaining challenge that we have for however many years to come forever is about reducing those scope three emissions that are all tied up in our behavior, our supply chains, the way we eat, the way we travel. Do you have any thoughts around how, first of all, whether you want to kind of help shift things in in your role of chair of GM and if so, how? It's a huge challenge, right? It it is, absolutely. And And I don't mean to kind of ask you to come up with the golden answer. I don't think there is a golden answer, but it's it's things that we have to talk about all the time. Absolutely. And I'm I'm currently think so I, I, I believe this is not something that, that can be done like as a as a chair or even like as mm. a uh, as like the governing body. It is something that every member of the uh, Wolfson College community has to engage mm. with and, and be active. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm currently thinking about ways how to how to encourage people to actually like use their their opportunities here at this college mm. to to bring forward ideas and to implement them mm-hmm. because this is what I personally find find great about the college and um, I feel if we can persuade the students mm. um, or the, the fellows alike mm. to to really have like ideas be it like a, a lecture series like more on the academic part or like in an arts competition more on the artsy part or about like these really pragmatic issues to say mm. okay this is what we're going to do with our food waste or this is how we want to eat mm. uh, or how often we want to eat vegetarian food and I feel this is like is really much um, yeah f- these these ideas should really be developed on the on the ground level mm. um, like as like grassroots initiatives and I, I feel yeah. here in here in, uh, here in in Wilson College in particular, we're like in the in prime position to like push ideas. Absolutely, yeah. I um, think I mean my that sounds very aligned with my experience of Wilson as well. I think it's funny because it's it's a college that's part of such a historic institution, but at the same time, the college itself to me feels very much like a startup. It's like if you have an idea and you run with it, you can test it, you can see how it goes, and then you can iterate afterwards. And it's okay to try things. Maybe it goes well, maybe it doesn't go well, but you learn something from it and you try something else next time. It really has that feeling. Uh, absolutely. And I, I wonder maybe whether it also has something to do with these philosophical ideas of, of the, the founding president of ISI yeah, Berlin. Exactly. And there was this idea that you can really that you're really open to new ideas and inputs. Yeah. That you're not just like saying it that you're open, but in fact you're like very traditional, very conservative. Mm. But here in this college I feel there there is really this openness. Yeah. Um and yeah yeah i agree it really does feel like that is there is there anything in particular that you want to focus on in your next year um with regard to uh, in general you mean well there's two parts to that question actually one is in your in your new role as chair of gm and second 
I'll, I'll come to the second one afterwards. Answer that one first. <laughs> okay. So um, I think my, my top priority uh, as a chair of GM would be to, to help um, um, recreate this, this community spirit mm. that, uh, that, that has gone down a bit with the pandemic. So mm. when I came here to pre-pandemic pre times, um, there was like a very, it was a very close-knit community mm. where you would... I still remember that I, I talked a lot with, um, with fellows as well and, and, and other students. Um, and, I, and I really enjoyed this atmosphere and I, and I still really enjoy this. Mm -hmm. but, but I think that it has gone down a bit with, um, with COVID because a lot mm -hmm. of institutional memory has been lost. Yeah. For example, when, when it comes to like the, organi I mean, the organization of the ball, for example. Of, mm. of, um, so all these things had to be rediscovered in a way and sometimes they were like people who had like a lot of information that had gone in the meantime. Mm. And there was like the, basically this, this hiatus or this gap of one and a half years or two years of the pandemic. Yeah. And, and this would be my priority to like really try and seek ways how to involve the whole uh, community. So and I'm not only talking about the, the students, but also about the fellows mm -hmm. and about the connections between students and fellows and, and also staff. Mm. Um, so how to like reconnect and rebuild this this community, mm. and I think um, the the previous chair of GM um, has done like a, a great job in like pushing into the the right direction. Yeah, and Fred I, has I been think, great. Yes, and mm. and I'm I'm planning on just yeah following his 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 route in this sense. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And then the my my second part of that question is more along the lines of academically, where do you see yourself going next? Um, so how much longer do you have in your DPhil? So I think that I will have one and a half years more. Mm -hmm. So I plan on finishing my dissertation um, summer next year. Okay. Um, and do you have any idea of what you're thinking of after that? Or is that way too far away to talk about? <laughs> it is. So I, I plan on staying in academia, mm. but I am not yet sure where. Okay. So it's, it could be anthropology, if possible. So it very much de depends on how my, how my research also develops, mm -hmm. with what types of paper I can I can publish. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I can imagine like anthropology or international development. Mm. Um. In in this area. But you see yourself staying in academia long term. If possible, yes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Mm, yeah. So watch the space. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you yeah. so much, Theodore. No, thank you very much for the, the invite. Of course. Uh, was, yeah, great, great to speak. Thank you. Thank you.